0: Welcome to the Liberty Tree, podcasting from Family Life Church in Swanee, Georgia. In the big rock candy mountains, the jails are made of tin, and you can walk right out again
1: as soon as you are in. There ain't no short-handled shovels, no axes, saws, or picks. I'm a-going to stay where you sleep all day, where they hung the turk that invented work in the big rock candy mountains. Howdy there, friend. I see you've made it back to the Liberty Tree. Welcome, welcome. It's nice to meet you again. And uh, this is episode three of the Liberty Tree podcast. We're getting into uh, a we're trying to stay on topic, I promise, but hang with us, stick with us. We are on a wild ride for this episode. That's right. It is exciting. It's fun, and it's violent, and I like violence. Yep. Well, yep.
2: whenever I hear that Big Rock Candy Mountain song, I mean, it just it puts me in a mood, and you know, you, <laughs> yeah. you can tell by the, the, uh, the what you're about to hear, I guess. And for those of you don't that don't know, uh, I'm Ben. I'm here with Zach and John, and we are podcasting the Liberty Tree, um, and we're out of Swanee, Georgia, and um, we are. Members of Swanee Station Family Life Church, and we are really happy that you've decided to join us uh, for this third episode of the Liberty Tree. We're starting to get our sea legs a little bit, although it may not be evident to the rest of you out there. But yeah, uh, but but we, we feel like we're learning just a little bit as we go. You know, we're, we're you know we. You know, have have recorded few episodes with the pause button held down than we did at the beginning. So yeah, know, we're, actually, yeah. we're actually getting <laughs> one, some... <laughs> one podcast episode at <laughs> a time, you know.
1: Now, now now that we're getting a little bit more relaxed, uh, we're going to be far more free to just say whatever and talk about whatever. So it ought to be fun, and it ought to be interesting, and we're happy that you're here with us. Yep. Liberty Tree, serving up to you, Christ and Him crucified, who Jesus is what he did all in a southern twang and Scottish brogue.
2: (laughs) That's right. Okay, well, we're going to join a conversation that we had uh, recently that we thought you'd be interested in. So we're going to go ahead and go to that that clip now and just enjoy it, and uh, we'll be back in a bit.
1: They use that thing like a champ in battles. I mean, if you can knock out half the forces before you even meet on the field, you know, hand-to-hand combat, because up till. The longbow, really, or, or other types of firearms, your, your basic war is duking it out with claymores and, and battle axes and you know hand-to-hand and daggers and pikes.
2: That's <laughs> what we just said. That you know, It used to be you have to look somebody in the eye yeah. and get up close enough to hit them with something or s- poke them with something.
1: Yeah, if you're the front guy in that ba- like in Braveheart, in that battle scene of the Battle of Sterling, which that's not historically accurate at all, that, how they depict that battle, is it, John? No, no. <laughs> So, but I mean, it was—I mean—the intensity of that scene, of the two sides running towards each other at full breakneck speed, and it, while you're running, you know, reaching for whatever weapon you had, that had to weigh an insane amount in the first place, because you can't be running around with five-pound swords. I mean, you know, the blunt force of the swooping weight of the sword on someone's neck is. is would take someone's head clean off but if it's lightweight and you're just kind eh, 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 of you, you might make a few gashes and stuff if it's really sharp but i mean and you have got to be built you got to be if you're swinging this thing around and then if you survive near the end i mean the skill that it must have took to just that's 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 warriors to you know to be able to know at all times when you've got multiple people around you and staving them off I mean, that's incredible William Wallace's
0: sword was is uh, six feet tall. Six feet tall. Mm-hmm. It's at Sterling. Well, the Wallace Monument in Sterling. I've so, seen it.
1: So he had. So obviously, he had to have used both of his hands while he's wielding yeah, this
0: thing. But it's sort of like lopping the legs off a horse, you know? Right. I mean, I'm not saying he was like nine feet tall. You know what <laughs> I mean? <It's, laughs> but I mean, I mean, this is easily a sword that's as tall as a man,
1: and so you you think about the type of metal that was put in the uh in the sword the 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 hilt the, the weight of the hilt i mean you're probably wanting to make it as light as possible obviously but you're still talking what 100 pounds right maybe is, is that a fair guesstimation on the weight of a claymore sword about 80 to 100 pounds i think that's a little on the high side you think so i agree okay so maybe like 30 it's 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 heavier than a baseball bat
2: Yes, I think we can agree that. It's okay, so bat.
1: if you're swinging a baseball bat around in batting practice or you know home run derby with your friends, I mean, you get kind of tired after a while. But if you're swinging for your life,
2: I mean, and and I don't want to correct you too much, but I've just got a research assistant has brought us in some factual information about the claymore. Average weight about six pounds. No way. Now that okay now, please disregard everything I
1: said. They totally <laughs> should be able to be <laughs> lopping <their> heads off.
0: <laughs> now, how how long does
2: how long. Uh, did our intern say it was that sword was? Uh, typical blade length, 47 inches. So uh, so when you, when you factor in, you know, the, you know. Almost four feet. Yeah, you know, but that's just for the blade. So you've still got, you know, a big two-handed, you know, uh, handle, and you got the pommel and everything. So I bet you're, you're closing in at probably a little over five feet. And then if you're somebody like William Wallace that can have the custom sword maker doing work for you, you know, um, a custom custom blade, he could have, I, I would say, you know, it's not out of the realm of possibilities that he had one that was six feet long, you know, so. And still but, being hit by a four-foot blade. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <He> must have <laughs> just, just been terrible. But as, as, you know, I think a lot of these battles, though, not, not the ones that r- history really, you know, makes note of, but I think there were some of them where it was like everybody gets called up from their fields and they all you know you go back in your in your you know your closet next to your bucket or whatever they had you know and then you get your you get your bow or your sword or your mace and everybody goes out and you kind of stand around, and they go out and parlay and talk about, you know, okay, we're mad enough to fight and kill each other, but do we, does it, nobody really wants to die here today, do they? No, no. And see, that's where the smack you know, talk comes in. Right. Yeah. Before we
1: let you leave, right. your commander must right. present himself I, before so this I army. Think, I think there were a lot of like near misses <laughs> where,
2: where basically people said that they, you know, went through a battle, but it was really they'd kind of go up and all bristle and, you know, beat their chest a little bit, and everybody would eventually kind of get to go home to their families and, and that sort of thing. I so.
1: mean, if we look at the whole David and Goliath story— and that's pretty much what it was until, until little puny David, uh, took down the giant. And you know there was that was that was that the agreed stance was if you beat my warrior, you're our slaves. If if you know we beat yours, you're our slaves. And then here goes down your warrior that you didn't think was gonna lose. Right. And then it's run away, run away, <laughs> and the and the Israelites chased after him. I guess that's one instance. But yeah, I mean.
2: How many bo- uh, battles were avoided because? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> people like mm, not today. But but you're right. There were some, but there were some definite turning points. The longbow being one, when you could actually have people that could be a couple hundred yards away. I mean, that was must have just seemed like magic back then. It must seemed like sorcery when you got people that. You're you're moving a group of men forward, and all of a sudden, this rain of death just comes down. Everybody just gets pierced with this agonizing pain. Where did that come from? Not those guys two hills away. That's impossible.
1: Yeah, death from above. And now you're talking
2: about the psychological aspect of warfare, right? Where now you
1: have standing armies marching towards another army, and all of a sudden, people are dropping. It's like
2: but here's the thing, though. Not everybody could shoot a longbow. Right. It took a lot of training, a lot of strength. In fact, golf was outlawed at one point in Scotland because it took away from archery practice. Word? That's true. It. So, but here's the thing. Then we had the crossbow that came out. And then it took any Joe Schmo that could pick up a crossbow and crank the, uh, you know, string back could now, you know, do somebody in and at probably two or three times the rate of fire of the longbow. And for all those for all those warrior purists... They suddenly said, "Well, this is almost like cheating." Mm-hmm. You know, I spend a lifetime training on the longbow, and here's this lazy slob that just picks up a crossbow, and he's just as effective as I am, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, or these or, or these guys that spend a lifetime training to be knights. It was a noble thing because it, it wasn't just about learning to use your sword and ride your horse and use your lance. It was an entire lifestyle. It was a code that they lived by, and now any Joe schmo with a crossbow can knock him right off that horse and take a, a lifetime of, 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 you know, effort and just wipe it right out.
0: Here comes Carl the Woodcarver, <laughs> <laughs> He's like... <laughs> no, no, no more uh, generals saying, archers, ready? <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, you're right. I and mean, In
1: every war, whenever someone gets to the tactical edge on weaponry, there's always been the, well, that's the ungentlemanly way to fight, and that's cowardly. And then, you know, Carl's over there stringing his crossbow, all's fair in love and war, right. big fella. Well, and the,
2: I wonder, the first guy to actually wear decent plate armor, walk, you know, clunking out onto the battlefield and somebody whacks him with something and he doesn't <laughs> fall over dead, you know? And the other guy must have just, you know, the, he must have just been like, well, I, you know, I'm fresh out of ideas, you know? <laughs>
1: Fetch me my bigger hammer. Right,
0: right. <laughs>
2: Uh, that's right. Well, um, let's see. What came after us? So so after our, our crossbow was sort of the, the weapon of the day, I think that was about the time we started getting gunpowder, right? And that must it was, was the, really the game changer. The
1: Chinese that first experimented with fireworks, and then they realized, hey, wait a second. This yeah. is uh,
2: fireworks, <clears throat> gunpowder. Well, and they they had gunpowder for, I think, probably centuries before Europe did, but, you know. Um, Sorcery. That's <laughs> right. But that's <laughs> the thing about the gunpowder is that you could use it for, you could get a whole bunch of it together and use it as a, a siege weapon to blow up a wall or a rampart. Or you could, you know, get just a little bit of it and use it as an individual weapon for, you know, one guy blasted another guy or put just a medium amount in a cannon and now you've got, you know, you can take out cavalry and, you know, all sorts of things. So you still had You still had
1: hand-to-hand fighting, you know, putting – putting blades on the end of, of the guns now. That's right. Uh, but you still had, fast forward even more and you're getting into now rifling where the tactics for smooth bore uh, weaponry was, you know, mass them up in one big block so they right. can, so the 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 multiple firings of weapons, th- you would not have to worry about accuracy because you just have this wall of, of lead coming at the opponent. Well, now you can spread people out or you can shoot at this mass with
2: aimed rifling and then you're just well, and, you know, the, the the rifled barrels entered the war between the states a little too late to be used on a super wide scale. But then the next two big wars at the end of the 19th century, the Boer War and the Crimean War, all the soldiers basically had rifled uh, barrels on their in their rifles and were at least breech loading, if not bolt action of some kind. And it, that was, I think— the first real modern taste of just how destructive you know an infantry force can be when they have accurate rifles with good gunpowder shooting you know elongated projectiles over great distances and you can't just line up and walk shoulder to shoulder i mean as as bloody as the war between the states was you know you by the time you know we had these next to they realized you you just can't fight that way and then shortly thereafter we got the machine gun and we saw what that you know we know what that did to world war 1 which was people were like so terrified all they could do was dig a trench and s- sit in it because the minute you pop your head up one guy and maybe a, a small crew can now effectively take out hundreds of people so you know it's 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 just again it must have just seemed like so like you said unfair And Dirty Pool. Right. Um, It's like you went from a single-shot
1: weapon having to be in reload after every single shot. A skilled rifleman can maybe get off six shots in one minute, you know, that's reloading, to now six shots in less than a second, you know, just the firing of the pow, pow, pow. Right. I mean, you kind of, when you do kind of have that... S- semi-automatic is a little bit more proficient because at least you can aim until you shoot. You're not having to worry about reload and putting the round in the chamber. You have a magazine that's for you, and then you have the fully automatic weapon where you just pull the trigger and butter, butter, jam, butter, butter, jam. You know, there's another terminology that you can use that, that I won't repeat on, on, on here, but uh, <laughs> but it's to uh, at a cyclic rate you can send rounds out. Now you you're lost. You lose accuracy, but you when you're having to spray an entire area, that's a lot more effective. But, yeah, um, some people get all bent out of shape over fully automatic weapons, and it's like, look, personally, I think you can do a lot more damage with something that's semi-automatic. Right, well, and,
2: you know... uh, As an individual. Right, well, and I have an M1A Springfield rifle, which is a civilian version of the M14, which was the battle rifle before the M16, And, and that rifle was supposed to be a replacement for the M1 Garand, which it did a stellar job of that, but it was also supposed to be a replacement for the BAR, you know, Infantry Automatic Weapon, which it didn't really do such a great job of that because it it didn't have the heft to control the recoil. So trying to shoot that 308 round at fully automatic was just kind of impractical. And then it was also supposed to be a replacement for the, uh, I guess, the M3 submachine gun, which apparently it wasn't very good at that role either. So it didn't last very long, especially because the next major US conflict was Vietnam and the wood and the stock would swell in the humid swamps of you know, Southeast Asia, whereas you know, the M16 was, I guess, lighter and you know, arguably better suited. You know, Some people would dispute that, but I'll say this, I absolutely love to shoot my M1A, <clears throat> but I don't think that it would be useful at all in, in a fully automatic mode. You know, maybe a three-round burst, but even that, I, I probably wouldn't use it that way, and I would feel much more effective with it semi-automatically. Just the recoil alone,
1: mm-hmm. you wouldn't be able to get back on target after the first round if it's right. It's gonna walk walk up, right? So, I, I love talking about guns and <laughs> 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 war, military right. tactics. I just find it fascinating. Yeah. It's for me. Some people. When they think of history, they date it by, whatever. For me, the way I'm able to understand history or how far back something happened was military conflicts. To me, that's where I wrap everything around. Was this is when this happened and this is when that happened. So this is what was going on during that time. So man, that's just, that's just me. Well,
2: because so much effort has to be made anytime there is a conflict like that. Everybody has to make a sacrifice, even the people that aren't actually directly fighting. I mean, you know, you know we look at world war ii it helped pull us out of the great depression but there was also rationing of all the resources so it was just you know even things like car design like you know there were no new cars designed during the war years you know and in fact i think it was like 46 or 47 before they even really came out with anything that wasn't a pre-war design so it just it, it permeates every aspect of life and if you're a student of history it's a it's really good benchmarks because they mark turning points, not just in military successes or or defeats, but also just in how cultures are, you know, organized and and you can mark it before and after, you know.
1: Nothing stokes the fire of an entrepreneurial spirit like the necessity of war. Absolutely. I mean, look look at all of our technology and stuff for medicine, you know, the different things that we have. I mean, the tank, you know, that became out of a necessity of war, just yeah, you know, I mean, how, how do you breach through barbed wire, uh, no man's land in World War One? I? I mean, there comes the tank. Right. But damn.
2: You know, and I, you know, I don't know that we would have gone to the moon if it weren't to try to beat you know the Soviets in the Cold War. Oh yeah. So I mean, but the the Herculean effort because you had Congress willing to put money into it, you had the support of the people, you had the the will of the nation willing to to drive to get the symbolic victory, even though it wasn't an actual military victory, but look at all the amazing things and technologies and knowledge that we've gained just from the effort of trying to go into space, which was, again, just sort of an offshoot of trying to have this quasi-military victory. If you have the will of the people, you can do just about anything. I mean, and it's
1: interesting how, at least in recent memory, whenever there's a, a national crisis... <clears throat> People tend to stop what they're doing and stop their squabbling and tend to come together. And you know, I, I dare you to tell me not to wave my American flag. And I f- saw that 9/11. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see that in other, you know, in other cases where that happens. Um, even in, to making a segue, you see that in sports, especially national sport. I mean, I mean, I, I'm, I've got USA soccer on the brain right now because <laughs> when you're, whenever you listen to this. It'll already have been done. It'll already have happened. And I'm going to go ahead and predict it right now. Tonight, in extra time, St. John Brooks will put it in the net to put the USA above Ecuador.
2: And uh, I remember back... And and in case anybody's listening to this well after the fact, since uh, we're probably not broadcasting live, I'm sorry to cut you off. What is today's date? So you're predicting tonight? Today's
1: date is June 16, 2016. Okay,
2: now go ahead with your prediction.
1: My prediction is USA...
0: Two Ecuador one. That's a mighty uh, high expectations, but I think they might be able to pull it out. I, and
1: and but but we also know what just realized what just happened. I am the kiss of death when it comes to the sport teams that I follow. You name a team that I support,
0: and uh, we'll we'll sit and try to figure out the last time they won any. Well, mostly them teams are Atlanta-based teams, right? Because usually when you're an Atlanta fan, nothing goes your way, especially when you get
2: into playoff scenarios. Yeah. Can you start rooting for like the Dallas Cowboys or maybe like the New York Yankees or, you know, I I can't (laughs) make myself do it. Philadelphia Eagles would be nice. (laughs) You want to root for those guys? That'd be good.
1: I, I, I am a strict believer and I support you rooting for the team that you grew up with, the team that you are, where you're from. However, pause comma for effect. If you've moved to a city, and that's your home now, and there's really no plans of, of moving now. You, you've put roots in. you know, Root for the home team, daggummit. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's so yeah. frustrating. I mean, you can go home in your closet. You can have a shrine to the New York Yankees. You can have a, a whole room dedicated to, to the, the New York Mets. That is fine. You know, it's free country, whatever. But when you're here in Atlanta and you, you obviously are here for you know job reasons, family reasons, whatever, there's a reason why you're here and not New York any longer. Just, you, but it would have hurt you so much to just put on the Braves hat and assimilate and become a part of the culture. Or we're never going to have a fan base that actually has a home field advantage in any of our stadiums because oh, it burns me up so bad when I'm watching on TV or going to the games and then say somebody from Pittsburgh, you know, steal, uh, not Steelers. Uh, sorry, uh, that's ben. okay. That's <laughs> all right. No, th- listen. They have fans all <laughs> over the place. You know, it's it's okay. Go for it. Pittsburgh Pirates yeah. gets a base hit, and everybody, or the Chicago Cubs. And I like the Cubs. I like the Cubs yeah. this year because of WGN. Uh, you know, I grew up with them as a kid too. Yeah. But but at Turner Field, if Chris Bryant hits a home run, there should be no reason why there's deafening cheers of jubilation at Turner Field. There's no. I don't care how bad the team is. That is so frustrating.
0: It's like when you when when the Red Sox come to town. Red Sox, Cubs, like the two big teams, like like the teams, and it seems like there's more fans of them at Turner Field than there is Braves fans.
2: Well, and also, unfortunately, well, I shouldn't say unfortunately, but the, the reality now is that people are so cosmopolitan. They move all over the place. It used to be, you know, a big majority of people never went you know, more than 50 miles from their home or whatever, so – you you rooted for the team that was the only team you could go to see. And then your rivals were those guys that lived just far enough away to where it was a big deal that they came to your town or that you went to their town. But then anything outside of that was just sort of, you know, but but I have to say this. The times that I've traveled to other cities, if I've had a chance to see a sporting event. I've liked rooting for whatever the home team was. I don't see why right, people yeah. are, I mean, like, you know, I, I had to go to Indianapolis for work a few years ago, and I went to a Pacers game. I had a blast, you know? I mean, it was, it was great.
0: Yeah, it's, it's true. I was up in Philadelphia one time, and uh, the Braves were playing the Phillies, Veterans stadium. And, uh, man, the fan base there – and they weren't a very good team back then. They were okay, but the, the fan base there was just completely different than what you get down here. Like, didn't matter how bad they were or how good they were, they were stuck behind their team. It was What you're
1: saying is it wasn't a social
0: event. It was, well, I mean, yeah, exactly. And then you go down to Turner Field, it's definitely a social event. Like, there's people, like, you look on the TV and you're watching the game, there's, like, people on their phones. I mean, I understand you get on phones and stuff like that, but, you know, there's, like, people on their phones and talking. And they don't even know what's going on with the game. It's like they're just there to...
1: I think you could definitely do the being hit in the face with a foul ball ratio to, to, to uh, Oh, what stadium did this happen at. And I guarantee you that, oh, that, that the ratio is going to be slightly ops, lopsided, showing that in Atlanta people get hit with foul balls because they weren't paying attention compared to, like, say, Yankee Stadium or Fenway or Wrigley because people are engaged. They're hanging on every pitch. You know? Right. And, and see, when uh, – John and I, we've seen a, a game in, uh, in New York. We've seen a game in Boston at Fenway. Completely night and day different. I love rooting for the in, 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 in <laughs> What was that? Uh, you, uh, who? Huh? What's that say? Say that again. Couldn't the team you. up yonder. Oh, that, oh those guys. In, in New York City. It was fun to root for them. Before the game, it was so cool. The first inning, when their team is in the field, there's a, there's a section in, in right, uh, right center and I think they still do it, before you know the game started, but they'll chant each position player's name, like say when Derek Jeter was playing, Derek Jeter, clap, 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 and they'll do it and it'll keep getting louder until Derek Jeter acknowledged them, like pointed to them or tipped right. the hat or something, and then they cheer and go crazy and they move on to the next player. Every game I'm told this happens. And that's engaged with the sport. It didn't matter how old you were, how young you were, male, female, purple, whatever whatever you were, you had some sort of Yankee paraphernalia on and you were there to watch the game. You go to Turner Field and it's, you know, if I'm a girly, I want to be seen and be seen and hopefully get on all kinds of social media with my duck lips on all kinds of different selfie sticks and selfies getting, and then the guys will roll up maybe in the fourth inning because they had to pregame before the game and now they roll into the fourth inning and they're all blah, 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 and then they leave They'll, they'll probably stay the whole game if 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 it's close, maybe. But they're not. They're they're they're, they're trying to pick fights. They're trying to to to, to say how you doing to, to to whatever girls are there. And it's 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 it, me as the fan. I'm just like, there's baseball going on, man. I mean, this is an American thing. And I I'm sorry, sports get me fired up.
0: Yeah, I, we noticed. <laughs> well, being a fan, that's I mean, that's that's short for fanatic. Right. You know. And John, uh, Mr. John Newlands, what is your favorite baseball team? Atlanta Braves.
1: Ah, there we go. See that? Wasn't that, that wasn't that hard.
0: Even though they're not very good right now.
1: It's tough. It's tough.
0: Yeah, we, we won't hold that against them. No.
1: Atlanta Falcons never have won the Super Bowl. The uh, Atlanta Hawks in Atlanta have never won a title. Atlanta Braves, 1995, I was 14. In the city of Atlanta, that's the only championship and I think the only reason why that happened is because I had written baseball off because of 1994 and the strike. And I had no plans to root for the Braves at all anymore because I was so devastated. And so I backed off my, fin- my fandom, and then they won. Georgia Bulldogs, 1980, nine months before I was born. Nothing.
2: Well, can I, can I say this, and maybe it's the cynic in me, I guess, but ever since Dick LeBeau retired, and for those of you who don't know, I'm a, I've been a big Steelers fan since 1986 – Um, the the uh, the the Malone era, Um, they weren't that good back then. But that's when I started liking them. But ever since Dick LeBeau retired as the defensive coordinator, I mean that was he was sort of the last vestige of what I liked about you know old time you know I say old time Steelers, but the the sort of the the type of football that I liked that the Steelers played. So I still like them, but you know honestly they're basically on the same footing now for me as the falcons i would say they've kind of the falcons have kind of come up and the steelers have kind of come down i know it's a shock to all of you listeners out there that know me as a steelers fan but here's the thing i find myself especially with football these days and especially with the nfl the only teams that i have left when i watch a game are the teams that i want to see lose yeah so i'm watching a game and as i'm you know uh, you know, as I'm flipping through the two or three games on Sunday and waiting up, up until Sunday night football, which in my opinion is the best game of the week, you know, on NBC. But it's basically like I'll stop on the games where I see a team that I dislike that I want to see not do well, whether it's – I don't mind saying with the Dallas Cowboys or Philadelphia Eagles or whoever else we don't like or whoever's got a you know a, a player that I don't like or a coach I don't like or an owner that I don't like. But I end up watching the games – to see certain teams lose,
1: living vicariously through the other team that's beating the team right. you can't stand. I do that. I have to do that right. with 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 the Georgia Bulldogs. I have to do. They've they're getting better. And it's, but see, here's the funny thing. I'm that kind of fan where where at the beginning of the season we're winning it all. I have all the faith and all of the. The, we're going to this this the year and doing it. And, and then as soon as we lose that first game, that's when I become the cynical fan. We don't ever get anything, man. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's when the barking stops, huh?
1: Yeah, that's <laughs> when that's when the, hmm, <laughs> starts. Or that's when I look for the next sport to come out. To the well, hurry. <laughs> well, okay,
2: well, John, well, then you can tell us, uh, you know, from from being a native of Scotland, how is America's love affair with sports different from scottish or scotland's love affair with sports or or britain's or europe's you know can you can you be a representative for that well back back home in scotland i mean we've
0: pretty much just got well we've got two sports probably that we that we like it's soccer and rugby so soccer which we call football which you guys call american football we call your football american football but we call it football that's our main sport it's like a religion over there and like it's just like it's ingrained in you from when you were born. You see it everywhere. You see it on the streets with people wearing their whoever shirts or fan they are on TV. They talk about it all the time. I mean, there's stadiums all over the place. You're always going there as a kid. You're playing at it at school. You play it at home. You play it in the park when you get home. Um, I'm, I'm, I think I'm speaking for many uh, British kids growing up. But as far as, like, American sports and um and and scottish sports are british sports and say i guess you can throw european in there they're very pa- we're very passionate and like we're not like bandwagon fans let's put it that way we don't like jump on a team that's doing well at the time and and stick with them and then when they're not very good then we jump off and we we'll go to another team we if once you support a team that's it that's your that's not going to That's you till that. you die i so, can you know. respect that but, but i
2: mean like so on on game day to like shops close and everything stops. I mean, is it, I mean, like, depending on how, how important the game is, I mean, is it like really like the whole, you know, does the whole community get into it whether you like it or not? Because I mean, surely there are people that there that maybe don't care so much about it, but they're swept into it whether they like it or not because everything's closed. Or, or how does that work?
0: Yeah, I think, I think it's especially when you come to the national team. Um, there's a lot of club football over there and uh, and and teams and rugby and stuff, but when you come to the national stage, everybody wants them to do well. Everybody wants them to win, which they don't do very much. But everybody, they do, there is times where they close things down and uh, it's just like a holiday. It's just like a vacation. Like people will take off work to go and watch the game. This big game that's coming on in in the country will, at times, shut down because they're watching this huge game that's very important in whatever situation they're in. But it's more national, I think. Personally, I think it's more national now. You get into more... Rival club teams, especially in, in the soccer and stuff like that, then uh, it's not so much things shutting down, but people will watch it, and it's not. But it it's ve- they're very passionate about their sport. I mean, I mean, in the very nas- very passionate.
1: In the national tournaments. That's where the, the 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 thirst for military conquest via your country gets slaked by the uh, uh, the, the 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 victorious conquest over. Uh, your maybe historical military rival through sport, right? Um, right. I mean, you have those natural rivalries, like when England versus Germany, you know, yeah. or, or you know, it, or you know, it, or, or, or different things, or like Germany and Poland today, hoo-hoo-hoo. you know, the fact that Poland drew with uh, Germany, you know. I mean, these are these are sports that, I mean, over there, you're, they're not allowed to sit with the uh, the away team fans.
0: Uh, no, all the fans are separate, because you know, and they had a game last week where it was England and Russia. Well the fans started fighting, and there was, like, Street mayhem fights. mayhem on the streets in Marseille, France. Right. And so there was mayhem in the streets, and, and it went on for days. And so they, you cannot
2: sit next to somebody with a no. different – the, the French police Dude. aren't known for their ability to put down a riot. <laughs> I'm so sorry.
1: Yeah. Are but, you saying that the, 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 the French, in the past 200 years, have not been known I'm, for stopping? I'm people just saying from that <laughs> I'm saying that
2: had the riot taken place anywhere else, it might not have lasted, but you know, a couple of hours. But uh, you know, but that's, I'm sorry, I digress, John. But <laughs> uh, anyway. But anyway,
0: I mean, they're so passionate about it, but it gets out of hand. You know what I mean? I mean, they're fighting, and you see the the things on the on on the news and stuff like that. And the guys with their shirts off and all bloody and stuff, and throwing rocks. It's like riots. That's one thing
1: that I love about Team USA, uh, the soccer team. Uh, Even though we are not historically known to be the powerhouse, and I heard uh, listened to a uh, guys that uh, actually they're English, but they're called Men in Blazers, and they. Uh, uh, they, they critique soccer and they're hu- they're living in the US now and they're huge USA fans and so it was funny they were describing USA <laughs> what I'm said they're like the, they're exactly like the English team but better <laughs> 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 so that they, they crack on themselves yeah. but they also said that USA what they'll do is they'll start off all the fire and the pizzazz and the patriotism and the flash and they'll get a goal and then they'll park the bus and then they'll, that's how they'll lose the game or or just barely get out with the skin of their teeth but back to the whole, fandom thing, as much as I get angry and pent up or if I'm not careful how my emotions be dictated by the ups and downs of my sports teams in America, there's something so beautiful that when Team USA does well, and I love to go look and see all the different things on YouTube where, you know, in Seattle it shows the winning goal and it shows the watch party there and then everybody just freaks out and is celebrating and chanting "USA" and hugging each other. And then the next scene, they show New York, and then Boston, and Dallas, and Chicago, and Atlanta, and you know Miami, and and LA. And it's the same colors, it's the same reaction, it's the same jubilation for the first and for the you know for once when it comes to a sport. I guess you could stay with the Olympics, it kind of does that too. But over the past last two World Cups, maybe because I've been paying attention to it more, but I think a lot of interest in in soccer has ramped up in the US as well. That was so cool to see that for the first time, an LA fan might be high-fiving a New York fan, or an Atlanta fan might be high-fiving a New Orleans fan of a team.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, when you say that, it's great that because the country's so big and diverse, you know, everybody can come together. But when you get like a, a (laughs) a Scotchman and an Englishman in the same stadium, we're like bitter enemies to the end. <laughs> right? You know what I mean? Right, yeah. Or, uh, and it's just, it's just like, we don't like you. That's it. We want to beat you today, and that's it. We're not going to be, you know, at that time. But, you know, afterwards, everybody probably, you know, hangs out together or whatever. But at that time, it's like, That's know? how I feel about the Mexican team.
1: Like, like yeah. I, 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 I my, my two favorite teams are Team USA and whoever plays Mexico. I, I don't care if they're in it for the World Cup final. I'm going to be waving the flag of whoever team. I know. Uh, 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 what about uh, uh, Concacaf loyalty? What about regional pride and all this other sort of stuff? No, no. Dos a cero is what I want the score to be every time. I, I and I love it. But after the game, if 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 Atlanta United gets a star international Mexican player for the team, oh, I'll, I'll be rooting them on. I'll be so happy that we got them because they're a good team. But when it comes to the 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 national uh, uh stage yeah no. well but
2: i think john you hit the nail on the head as far as when people kind of go overboard and have these you know these Donnie brooks and riots and whatnot it's but it's because you, you when you started off you said from the time you're born it's just ingrained in you and it's pretty much the one sport i mean you got a few you know some of the some of the Lunkheads that end up playing rugby or whatever, the guys that just, you know, like knocking teeth out. But but everybody else is, is playing football and soccer. But here, there's this huge diversity of sports that people – I mean, I knew guys that grew up – I grew up playing baseball. I knew guys that grew up playing football. I dabbled in a little bit of basketball and tennis, and everybody played a little bit. Of, but it's hard to ramp up and get everybody on the same page because just in pro sports, we've got the big four, you know, uh, the major leagues, the NFL, the NBA, and the NHL. And then there are now half a dozen other, you know, offshoot sports that you know. As again, as soccer gets bigger, so it's it's hard to get people that impassioned on the in the same scale as I think it is in with other countries.
0: Yeah, I think that's 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 so right. You're saying that, Ben, because when you're when you're in Britain and you got Europe around you, it's like the same sport all around you too. So here you've got your choices of baseball, football, basketball, hockey, you know. And uh, different things like that. But back or home, cross. it's either... Yeah, all kinds of different things. But back home, it's like... NASCAR. Yeah. <laughs> it's football, soccer, or like rugby. Or golf. You know, right. golf. You know, golf's a big thing over there, too. But, I mean, as far as growing up as a kid, you know, I remember I remember being home in Scotland and, and all my friends would be like, you know, the NFL started coming onto the TV, you know, and back home in Britain, and I was probably about 10, 11, and all our friends were like, let's go, let's go try American football. So one of us would – or somebody would have an American football that their parents bought or something. It was like, oh, what is this thing, you know? And then we'd get down in the park, and we'd be like, 10-42, hoot, hoot." in a Scottish accent. Yeah, not and and, and, and not even know what it is, and just tackle was, did, each other.
1: Did anybody say you know? Omaha, or was it Glasgow, Glasgow? No, no. and it just <laughs> play Aberdeen,
0: that. Aberdeen, Aberdeen. Yeah. yeah, and just play that for a while, and, you know, you're you're tackling them. You don't, you don't know the rules, you right. know what I mean? You're just doing it. And then that'll fizzle out maybe – four or five days later, you'd be like, oh, let's just go back to the football pitch, yeah. you know, because that was just in you because you know. it was on the TV, it was all around you, it was in the stores, people talked about it. It was huge. So, and that's just what you just more or less went went back towards. Like
1: It's bu- like a bunch of rednecks playing soccer. What do you mean I'm off sides? I was wide open. Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, uh, the the diversity and stuff is great and I enjoy American sports uh, for sure. I mean, um, I love baseball. I, I watch a little bit of American football uh, uh, at times. I'm not a huge, huge fan, but I do I do enjoy watching it. Right. But um, the one thing, I, I mean, going to school here in the States and coming over from Scotland, one thing I wish I did, I was always like, no, I'm just going to be playing soccer. That's it. That's all I want to play. I wish I took up, like, baseball or something else. You know what I mean? But back then, it was like, ah, oh, that's a silly sport. But now I love it, you know?
1: What's well, really cool when you look at, I was saying the different cities that come together and they're all united in one thing. In a lot of ways, in the end, or, or it would be nice in some way when it comes to the differences in you know Christian denominations or Christian groups or whatever. Is that yeah, you might have your differences, you might have your rivalries, you know, crazy you know, crazy Baptists, what are they thinking, you know, or or whatever, throw the denomination, crazy non-denominational people where they just do do whatever they want, you know. I mean, you're going to have those kind of of uh, 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 differences and stuff, but in the end, when, or let me say, hopefully it should be in the end when Christ and Him crucified is preached. I mean, that's like that's victory. You would think that that would unite unite the clans, you know, you know that would right. unite everyone together, you know.
2: Well, and I'm I'm pretty much in favor of any denomination of Christianity as long as they use the Bible as their scripture and as long as. Worshipping Christ and is 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 first, you know, and I think the reason that we have these little de- different denominations and these little idiosyncrasies is because everybody needs to be able to find a path to Jesus. That yeah, we're and, we're you know, flawed people, right? We're and, we're and we we you know, but at the same time, I don't just mean that we need to find a church where it tells us exactly what we want to hear the way that we want to hear it. That's not what I mean at all. But I just mean that I think. You know the the, the 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 main denominations, and then again some of the evangelical, non-denominational. As long as we're using the Bible for our scripture, and as long as we're putting Christ first, I think they're, that they're moving in the right direction. You know, and then and then among those that are doing those things, find the one that works for you.
1: Right. You if know? you if you're if you're an authority, like where do we go to to determine whether or not what we're talking about is is true? If that's scripture for you. And if, if the whole focus of what your church says is the, 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 the bare bones bottom of what, or really, and I would argue, really more than bare bones, the entirety of what your faith is, is Jesus Christ dying for your sins, dying for sinners, his life, his death, his works, who he is being counted in, the, in your place. If, 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 if Scripture and Jesus, the biblical Jesus, there's a lot of different Jesuses out mm-hmm. there, the biblical Jesus in Scripture. If that's the hallmark of, of, of what we're gathering here to discuss, what we look to, we're, we're, we can be united, and we should be united. And in in, in, in many ways, whether we like to admit it, we, whether we like to admit it or not, we are united. That's right.
0: Yeah.
2: And, and I think, you know, the sooner we resign ourselves to that or realize it and and embrace it. Better off we'll be as Christian brothers oh, know, absolutely and sisters but you know what I mean just the, in the spirit of Christian Brotherhood, uh, you know w- there are so many things out there that try to divide us and so many obstacles and enemies that we have out there and I don't just mean I mean I don't just mean that we're enemies with people I just mean you know the, the things that try to tear us down that you know w- I hate the fact that we would fight amongst ourselves. If anything, you know, the the more that we can come together and realize that we're all, you know, we're on the same team and we're all hopefully moving towards the same goal, you know, and even though we have our own little flavors of how you know we choose to worship and those sorts of things, but if we can, you know, overlook those little things and realize that there's the one big similarity that we all share, I think that it 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 can only serve to help us. But you know, sometimes. You know, there's that whole, you know, hard to see the forest for the trees type of thing. Yeah, when the,
1: when the message of the church is the person and work of Jesus Christ instead of the church's own personal message of them and themselves and what they're doing, and it's not to knock, you know, the different wonderful things that many churches do in the world like mission work or service or or, or you know, community outreach or whatever. I mean, that's great, but when the message that the church is presenting is, hey, here, here, come and listen to us talk about ourselves instead of, hey, come he, come and listen to us talk about a man named Jesus. I think that's where the, the unity comes into play. As long as the message is Christ and not the Christian, you'll find unity. But whenever it becomes, and it's so easy to do, it's so natural to do, mm-hmm. to make the message about us. Um, we're naturally bent to do that. But I think that's where the divisions start to come into play is when we're more focused on ourselves than we are Christ. Um, chasing rabbits how we got to that topic (laughs) i guess it's good (laughs) (laughs) but yeah we'll be prone to do that or at least i will i can talk five different subjects (laughs) in one paragraph i think
2: (laughs) well and i think that'll be a good uh place for us to pick up when we start next time um but i think we've had a good session here today and we want to thank everybody for listening Um, who's listened to us, and uh, Zach, why don't you tell everybody where they can hear or find out more about the Liberty Tree?
1: Sure thing. You can find us on uh, iTunes, you can find us on, and we'll list out on the show notes different other avenues of approach that you can access the the, uh, podcast. If you're familiar with our website, the church's website, there'll be a link posted on there, uh, if you want to send us an email, if you have questions, if there's something that you want us to talk about or maybe address, you can send us an uh, email to thelibertytreepodcast at gmail.com. If you're on Twitter, you can find us at Liberty Tree Cast on uh, Twitter. On Facebook, we have uh, a page called The Liberty Tree. You can find us there. And, um, yeah, we'd love to hear uh, any uh, uh, comments, gripes, moans, complaints, <laughs> or, uh, or, or praises We'll we'll gladly accept those, uh, uh, too. And, uh, yeah, so come check us out.
2: All right. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, everybody. See you later.
1: Well, that was Episode 3. And out of all of that that we just discussed, I think this is the one major thing that we can all take home with us uh, today is that if your hope is in who Jesus is, what he did and what he did for you, specifically dying for you, dying for your sins, and in him, you are reconciled with God. We're forever family. We're united. We may have our different offshoots and different ideas of what uh, the Bible is leading us or teaching us. But point blank, if my question to you is, are you saved or are you going to heaven? And your response is yes and then I ask you how or how do you know that, and you respond back, because Jesus died for me, and you have faith in that, we're, we're, we're forever faithful. Yeah, you're faith. on the yeah, right we're track. Yes,
0: we're, on right. The right right. we're on the right road. That's
2: right. We're on the right road. Well, we hope that you've enjoyed uh, being with us this time. We know that we've enjoyed being able to uh, put something down for everyone to listen to. And if you want to be able to find out more about the podcast, uh, Zach's coming up to tell you how to do that. See you next time, everybody. If you ever have any questions uh,
1: for us on the podcast here, feel free to send us an email at the Liberty Tree Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, we'll be happy to answer any questions you have. Or if there is a topic or something that you want us to discuss on the podcast, feel free to let us know. You can find us on Facebook, the Liberty Tree Podcast. If you're on Twitter, our Twitter handle is at LibertyTreeCast. And also we are on the church website There's an icon on the website that's a picture of our logo. Just click on that, and to get to that website, it's FamilyLifeChurchSwannee.com. Look forward to hearing from you. Thanks so much. More to come later. One evening as the sun went down and the jungle fire was burning, Down the track came a hobo hiking, and he said, boys, I'm not turning. I'm headed for a land that's far away, beside the crystal fountains. So
0: come with me, we'll go. This was the Liberty Tree, podcasting from Family Life Church in Swanee, Georgia.